Today I want to bring you a message that the Lord has been impressing upon my heart, and that is just simply this, Jesus loves you. Sometimes I talk to people that feel like because they have done certain things that the Lord doesn't perhaps love them as much as He loves someone else. Maybe because they have a jaded past or a criminal record. Maybe they've struggled with the chemical dependency or maybe someone uh, has uh, something that's in their past that they are not too proud of, that they are desperately afraid others will discover. And, and because of those things that they know are known to God, they, they reason in their hearts that maybe the Lord loves someone else more than He loves me. I would simply say to you that God is perfect love. He doesn't know how to, how to love partially. He loves perfectly. He loves entirely. When He sets His love upon us, He holds absolutely nothing back. Now the Lord may not love what we do, but God does not define His children by what they do or even by what they have done, but by who they are in Him. And so, today I want you to know that Jesus, throughout the course of His earthly ministry, showed Himself to be in every way divine. The disciples had seen and, and professed to believe on Him. Yet despite the truth that Emmanuel had come and, and was indeed with them, they did not always respond in a manner that was consistent with their profession. Somehow they... they would just lose from their consciousness the fact that this is Messiah God. I believe that all of us, if we are honest before the Lord, can think of times where our behavior did not quite match up to our professions of faith in our Savior. And yet, despite our double-mindedness, we can know from a study of the Word of God that Jesus loves us still. And I believe that it behooves us to take a look today and consider those whom Jesus chose to love. As we consider John chapter 13, we know that the Lord is entering the time of His passion and He is in the throes of anguish here and preparing His disciples. He's instituting the Lord's Supper and He is celebrating the Passover with them. And, and it would not be long before they would go on, out into the Mount of Olives and the Lord would, would teach them and give them the information He sought for them to know. And we know that from there He would go into the Garden of Gethsemane and, and later would be betrayed into the hands of the rulers of the Jews and go through several... Uh, kangaroo courts and trials before he would be sentenced to death and beaten cruelly and inhumanely and walk that Via Dolorosa, send up the hill called Golgotha and there give his life a ransom for you and for me. And I believe that as we consider this, there are some things that really jump off the page if we would just consider that John, the apostle, 
Here a disciple is recording for us the events of what took place during that passion of our Savior Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us that Jesus was troubled in His spirit in verse 21. And I want to just say that I believe that Jesus was in every way vexed. And not just because the cross was coming, but because of all that was going to take place and all that He knew the disciples would do. He knew that there was going to come a moment in time where these men that He had ministered to every moment, uh, perhaps of almost every single day, for three and a half straight years, that all of them at a moment would turn around and they would walk away in fear and leave Him alone. He knew that Peter would deny Him. He knew that Judas would betray Him. He knew that Thomas uh, would fail to believe what he had been saying, that he would rise again from the very onset of his ministry. And I believe that it was not just a vexation in the Spirit of our Lord because He knew that He was going to the cross. There were so many events that were profound in His heart and mind that led Him to a time of trouble within His Spirit. And He told those men... Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. And we know that the Bible says that the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. And as we consider what the Bible says in all of the Gospels about this meeting in the upper room, when the Lord began to share with them that he would be betrayed by one of them, the Bible says that they all began with one consent to say, Lord, Is it I? Am I going to be the one? And the Bible says, so said they all. But as we consider really what John said here, Simon Peter turned to John who was leaning upon Jesus' breast. That's what the Bible tells us. They were there couched around a table that probably was anywhere from 12 to 18 inches off of the floor. Perhaps they sat on some kind of cushion around that table. And John always managed to make his way right to Jesus' side. And as they sat there, he he had his head leaned over, perhaps on the shoulder of Jesus. He didn't want to miss one single word. He wanted to imbibe of Jesus' Spirit and draw in and drink fully of the love that manifested from God in the flesh. And the Bible tells us that there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of His disciples whom Jesus loved. As we read the Gospel of John, John wrote in the third person when he spoke of himself, and he always referred to himself as that disciple whom Jesus loved. I wonder if you were writing in the third person about your relationship with Christ, would you say that child that Jesus really loves? Is that how you'd refer to you? I think it's wonderful that that John was confident in the love of Jesus for him. As we consider that John was a faithful, loving disciple, It is important for us to notice that in chapter 19 we see Jesus on the cross. And at this point the disciples had all forsaken the Lord and fled for fear. And yet there was one at Calvary. For the Bible reveals to us here 
in chapter 19 and verse 26. When Jesus therefore, and now Jesus is on the cross, when Jesus therefore saw His mother and the disciple standing by whom He loved, He saith unto His mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith He to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her unto his own home. I believe that Jesus knew in his heart that John loved him faithfully, loyally. And I believe that John was specially chosen of the Lord to be the one that would take care of Mary. I don't know about you, but that's a task that is not lightly undertaken. Remember when my mom had failed to the place where she had to be in a facility because she was constantly going out of the home and getting lost at night and she was becoming a danger to herself and others. We looked for homes and we went from place to place to place because for our mama, not just any place would do. That was a special task. We wanted to find people who were good reputation and places that were clean and people that would care and be attentive to mom's needs. And Jesus looked for a faithful man that he could give the care of his mother to. He found a faithful man in John. John and Mary both had something in common. They loved Jesus. I want you to know that Jesus loves the faithful. You may be saying, well, that, that's a given. You know, that's what God calls us to be, and He loves those that are faithful. And we know that John was demonstrably the most loving and faithful disciple. And I think that was proven at Calvary because he was the one disciple that was there when Jesus died on the cross. He was the one disciple that was handpicked of the Lord to care for his own mother. And so I think that, that, that John was demonstrably the most loving and faithful disciple. John was confident of Jesus' love for him and responded to that love by loving Jesus and serving Him with His entire life. And although John was not perfect, he was faithful to Jesus. Now I would be careful to say, Jesus did not love John because he was faithful. Jesus did not love John because he would be gentle and careful with his mother. Jesus did not love John because John was such a wonderful man. Jesus loved John because he is love. And he chose to love him knowing the worst about him, whatever that may have been. 
But Jesus today loves the faithful and maybe you consider yourself unfaithful and maybe today you count yourself among those that, that are not really a, a faithful, loyal follower of Jesus Christ and you think that really the Lord must be loving them and, and blessing them. And that was kind of the perspective of, of Peter when Jesus recommissioned Peter on the shores of Galilee and, 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 and Peter looked at John and said to the Lord, I'm going to have to die the death of crucifixion. What about John? What's going to happen to him? He thought somehow, well, the Lord really loves John. John didn't let him down. John was there at the cross, and I said I was going to die for the Lord, and then I denied him several hours later, and, 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 and now I, I'm sitting here ashamed of my actions, and surely the Lord must think more of John than he does of me. And the reality was this, that God had a plan, a loving plan for Peter. And although Peter did not faithfully, loyally live up to what he declared publicly that he would do, it did not diminish the great love of God for him. And we know that Peter then wrote in 1 Peter, whom having not seen ye love, writing to many who had never physically seen the Lord and understanding how loving the Lord God was and how that that love begat love. Jesus loves the faithful, but I want to say this to you. Jesus loves the faithless. The faithless. You say, He does? Well, the Bible would indicate such. As we consider in John chapter 20, we know that the Bible tells us of one of the disciples whose name was Thomas. Now, Thomas in the Bible is most known not for being a giant of the faith, but rather... We've given him a nickname, haven't we? It is what? Doubting Thomas. And so, he's not known for being a giant of faith. He's known for being faithless. And the Lord admonished him and said, Be not faithless, but believing. And yet, as much as there were testimonies given by the other disciples witnessing firsthand that Jesus was alive, despite the fact that Jesus, throughout the course of His ministry, declared that He would rise again, Thomas refused to believe it. And he took a strong stance. And in John 20, he said in verse 24, but Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. By the way, <laughs> you know, isn't it amazing that sometimes the ones that don't really have their faith and confidence in God are the ones that are always absent? <laughs> you know, just our luck, we'd be absent on the day that Jesus showed up. And uh, I, that's one of the reasons why I don't want to miss anything. I, I just can't wait to see what's going to happen next, and I want to be here for it. But what we discover is that the other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my fingers into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again, his disciples were then, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto everyone except Thomas. Is that what he said? No, that's not what he said. He said, Peace be unto you except doubting Didymus. No, that's not what he said. He said, peace be unto you. And then he said to Thomas, why are you so faithless? 
I'm replacing you because you don't believe me. Is that what he said? No. In fact, really, if you'd been telling someone for three and a half years something, and then you did what you said you were going to do, and there were people that bore witness to that, and you and a person denied that, I wonder how we would feel about that person. We might be a little upset, a little aggravated, a little agitated, but you know how the Lord dealt with Thomas? Patiently and lovingly. Despite his failure to believe that Jesus was alive, Jesus still loved him. And he said, reach hither thy finger, Thomas. Come over here, Thomas. Give me your finger. Reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side. And be not faithless, Thomas, but believing. Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Guess what? From that moment forward, he was no longer doubting Didymus. He was believing Thomas. From that moment forward, he believed. Blessed are they that have not seen, Jesus said, and yet have believed. Jesus patiently and lovingly affirmed Thomas and led him back to faith. You know, sometimes we can get frustrated with people that seem to be absent faith. I mean, they're just deficient in faith and they're, they're just taking a, a hangdog uh, attitude about everything that uh, we want to do in the work of the Lord. And, and look, the fact of the matter is that Jesus loves them just as much as He loves anybody else. Jesus doesn't love someone who's faithful and hate someone who's unfaithful. No, God loves people. He may not like what people do, but He loves people. That's why He died for them, because He loves them. And among those were the faithless. And so Jesus loves the faithless. And maybe you've been there and you've said, listen, I've been afraid to tithe because I'm scared that I'm not going to be able to pay my bills. And I've not really believed what the Bible teaches, that God can stretch $9 further than I have the ability to stretch 10 And maybe you think, well, God's going to really bless that person that's tithing and He's not going to really bless me. Well, listen, blessings and love are two different things. God can't bless disobedience, but I'm going to tell you this, God can love the disobedient. And so, God does not like faithlessness, but He loves those that may be faithless. I don't know about you, but I'm glad of that because there are moments where as much as I would like to deny it, I have to admit, I've probably been doubting Didymus a time or two in my days. I want to say this to you. If you have your Bible there handy, turn to Luke 22. Luke 22. And I want us to notice here beginning in verse number 54. We know that Jesus has already told Simon Peter in verse 34, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. And then we find in verse 54, Then took they him and led him and brought him into into the high priest's house. And Peter followed afar off. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall, and were set down together, Peter sat down among them. 
But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, This man was also with him. And he denied him, saying, Woman, I know him not. And after a little while, another saw him and said, Thou art also of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. And at about the space of, of one hour, after another confidently affirmed, saying, Of the truth, this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately, while he yet spake, the cock crew, and the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him before the cock crow, Thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Jesus loves the deniers. He does. He doesn't love the denial. But He loves us even when we deny Him. And that's proven in Peter's life. For we understand that Peter was bold and brash to declare his love for Jesus, but then denied Him in the time of Jesus' greatest need. The book of Mark tells us in Mark chapter 14 that as we read this account that Peter cursed and swore. And it used both of those terms. He cursed and swore and vehemently tried to prove that he did not know Jesus. He had nothing to do with Him. He denied Him. Can you imagine that? I know that we would probably have been in the same situation as Peter if, if we were on the Mount of Olives and the Lord said, hey, listen, Satan hath desired to have thee that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, that when thou art converted, thou may strengthen thy brethren. And we, we understand that um, he said unto him, Lord, I'm ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. And if it were us, we probably would have said exactly what Peter said. But I wonder how we would have held up to the scrutiny in the hall of Caiaphas around the enemy fire. And although perhaps there has never come a time where you have gone to the extent of cursing and swearing and denying that you even know Jesus, there have been times that by our silence we have denied Him publicly by our unwillingness to bear witness to the fact in our lives that we know Him, we have denied Him. But let me say this to you. As we consider the Lord's dealing with Peter from that moment forward, and, and by the way, I, I specifically chose the passage which I read because at the very last time, at that instant that Peter denied the Lord the third time Jesus was being led from the hall. And the Bible records for us an encounter between Peter and Jesus at that instant. When, G when, when Peter was denied, uh, when Jesus was denied of Peter, and then the cock crew, at that instant, Jesus was being led out. And the Bible says the Lord turned and looked upon him. And Peter and Jesus were face 
to face, eyeball to eyeball, at the moment that Peter had denied him. So not only did Peter have a conscience that was afflicted because he had done the very thing he swore he would never do, but he knew that Jesus witnessed it. And it broke his heart. And so he went out and he wept bitterly. The Bible reveals to us something very special. And in the book of Mark, we find it. In Mark chapter uh, 16, the Bible tells us in verse number 7, at the garden, at the garden tomb, the angel is speaking, go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee, there shall ye see him as he said unto you. So there was a specific message from the Lord at the garden tomb, at the empty tomb, and that was this. Go tell the disciples and Peter. And I believe that there was a distinction made between the two disciples and Peter because at this moment, Peter had stopped following Jesus. At this moment, Peter was estranged from the other disciples for shame, having denied the Lord. He is somewhere weeping in shame, hiding away, wondering how he could ever face the rest, and wondering how he could ever... Uh, have done such a thing, and, and, and yet here the Lord is sending a special, special message. I want you to go find Peter and tell Peter I've got an appointment with him in Galilee. I want to see him in Galilee. We know that from there, the Lord met him in Galilee. And in John chapter 21, we find where that Jesus sat down face to face with Peter and said, Lovest thou me more than these? We know that Peter was reminded of his failure, but at the same time he was reminded of the love of God for him. And two times Jesus made this statement to him. Peter, follow me. In verse 19. And in verse 22 he said, Follow thou me. Follow me. Follow me. What was he saying? Peter, I love you. I don't want you outside of the pale of fellowship. Peter, I don't want you crying with bitter tears because of your past failures. I shed my blood to cleanse all of that away from you. I want you to be one of these apostles. I've got a work for you to do because Peter, I love you. Follow me. The Lord doesn't love denial, but He loves deniers. Have you ever denied Him? Have you ever act, acted just like the world when you should have let the world know you were a believer? We've denied Him by our lifestyle. God doesn't like what we have done, but you know, He loves us. 
He loves you. I want to say this to you. In John chapter 13, which we find is our text today, we see an epic moment for our Savior and the disciples. And we notice that the Lord said in verse 21 that one of you shall betray me. And reading on, we, we see that Jesus said, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. That's the one that's going to deny me. And the Bible then tells us when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest, do quickly. You say, okay, the Lord knew who was going to betray him. And I want to just say something to you. I believe in divine foreknowledge. I have a God that is not constrained by time or space. And so, uh, He is omnipresent and He is eternal. Uh, he, has, he sees the beginning from the end. He's the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, which was and is and is to come. And so, He sees everything before it's going to happen. He knows in advance. But do you know God's foreknowledge does not indicate causation. God knows that I'm going to be saved, but He does not force salvation on me. God knew that Judas would betray Him, but He did not force betrayal upon Him. It was something that Judas chose. And the reality is, as we study the Word of God, we find even God showing love to Judas Iscariot in the very hours preceding that betrayal. If we study further what Jesus was doing as they celebrated the Passover feast, if you begin to study the traditions of, of Passover and of the Hebrew culture, one of the highest honors and expressions of love that can be given during the celebration of the Feast of Passover, is for the host to dip that unleavened bread in sop and to give it to someone. It's a token of love and of friendship. It is a token of love and of friendship. And the Lord told John, whoever I... I give this sop to. He it is that doth betray me. So what was the Lord doing? Was He just co-opting some Jewish tradition and saying, this is going to be the signal that you know. The reality was, there wasn't anybody there that knew it. There was nobody that caught on to what was happening there. They all thought Jesus loves and trusts Judas. Jesus didn't treat Judas any different. Otherwise, they all would have pointed the finger at Judas Iscariot. They didn't even suspect Judas of stealing from the bag, though he was a thief. You see, he was the treasurer of the disciples and he was a thief, but Jesus still loved him. And there was nothing that Jesus ever did in the course of his life that was insincere or cynical. He's God. And so what was he doing? 
I believe even there in the upper room, as he passed the sop to Judas Iscariot, he was saying, you don't have to do this. Here's your chance. You don't have to do this. I love you. You have a choice. Already he'd conspired with the rulers of the Jews because of selfish, petty greed and perhaps jealousy. I don't know. But the reality was was this, that he was not forced to do that. He chose to do that. And I believe even in the passion of Jesus as he knew in just a few hours that Judas would come and betray him with a kiss and sell him away to the rulers of the Jews for 30 pieces of silver, which was the price of a common slave in that day. That Jesus loved him even then. Here's the sop, you're my friend. I love you. You don't have to do this. And then even in Matthew 26, as we read there in verse 50, where Judas Iscariot came into the garden with the soldiers and the rulers of the Jews to take Jesus into custody. And Jesus looked at him and He said this, Friend, Friend, whence comest thou? You know what he was saying? Judas, you're my friend. I love you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. Friend. You think Jesus just chose terms glibly, idly? He's God. Every word of God is pure, the Bible says. He looked at him, and even there in the garden, with great sweat drops of blood, perhaps still on his brow, he said, Friend, even then I think the Lord was saying, Judas, it's not too late. I love you. You don't have to do this. I would say this to you. Jesus loves the betrayers. Judas was given the offer of love with the bread and the sop in the upper room. He was given the bread of life if he chose to take it. And he refused it. And maybe the love and the kindness that was lavished upon Judas at that moment was was almost too much for him and he hardened his heart against it because he knew what he had already conspired to do. And so as Satan entered him, he just followed through on it. But you know, when he came to his senses at a point and realized what had taken place, he, he, he tried to repent of that and he, and he threw away the silver at the feet of the Sanhedrin. And he went out and he hung himself and It was not biblical, godly repentance. We know it was the repentance of the world. He was just sorry that he got caught, not that he had grieved the heart of God. And it was a repentance not unto life, but a repentance unto death, which is a repentance of the world. But what we understand is simply this. Even Judas Iscariot was loved of God. And you and I perhaps have never done such a deed 
But I wonder, have there been subtle betrayals of our Savior? Such that our conscience has grieved us to the extent that we feel like, how could the Lord even love me? Perhaps I'm not even saved. I, I remember a, a lady that years ago came to the church and, and she struggled with her salvation and, and we shared the Scriptures time and time again. And there was just a, a seemingly a spiritual a darkness that was covering her eyes and she just couldn't quite get it. And I remember one day the phone rang and she said, uh, Pastor, um, I, I just I don't believe I'm saved. I, I can't be saved. I believe I've lost my salvation. And I said, what are you talking about? She said, well, I, I looked up to heaven and I shook my fist and I cursed at God. And I used the foulest language at God. How could I do something like that and be saved? And the reality is this, that God does not love betrayal. God does not love denial. God does not love doubting. But He loves doubters. But He loves deniers. But He loves betrayers. And He shed His blood for them. He loves you. In Luke chapter 22, we, we discover during this period of time where Jesus was involved in instituting the Lord's Supper and celebrating the Last Supper with His disciples, after it was revealed that He would be betrayed, and a shockwave went through the room, the Bible says in Luke twenty two twenty three, they began to inquire among themselves which of them it was that should do this thing. In other words, they're, they're saying, you, you think it's going to be Peter? You, you think it's going to be James? You, you think it'll be John? You think it'd probably be Matthew? Is it Matthew? No, maybe Judas. I, I don't know. Who do you think? Everybody's going around the room inquiring about who, who's going to do this. And if that wasn't enough, that, that here these guys are sitting around speculating about who had this darkness in their heart and trying to point the finger and deflect blame and responsibility. And, and, and the Lord is in heaviness and in sorrow at this moment. The very next verse says, and there was also, so right now, contemporaneous to this, there was also among them, there, it says there was uh, also a strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest. So here's the Lord getting ready to go to Calvary. He's, he's giving them these final words before His death. He's spending these tender, precious moments with them. He knows that He's going to be betrayed by one of His twelve followers. And, 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 and now in the midst of all of this, they're arguing in the upper room about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. I, I should do it because I have more leadership ability. Right? I should be the one because I have a sword and I have more training. I should do it. I'm more educated. I should do it. Lord loves me more. I should do it. I met Him first. I should do it because you know I had more converts during the missionary journeys. I, I should do it because of this or that. And they're arguing selfishly about who should have a place of prominence in God's kingdom at the very moment 
that Jesus declares, I'm going to be betrayed by one of you. At the very moment that Jesus was in heaviness, as he was in the early stages of his time of passion here, Jesus was in great heaviness. And the disciples were arguing about who would be the greatest in the kingdom. Can you imagine that? They struggled among themselves ambitiously. No, I want it. No, me first. No, I'm going to be the prime minister. No, you're going to be the king's chamberlain. I'm going to be the prime minister. No, I'm going to be a, a despotic king in the kingdom. And the Lord's going to set me up over here or over there. No, listen. The Lord is about to die. And they're fighting over what they could have of His. Let me say this to you. They were being very selfish. But Jesus loves the selfish. Their pride and selfish ambition did not keep Jesus from loving them. Jesus loves the selfish. You know, I'm going to say this to you. I don't know very many people that aren't exceedingly selfish. We're pretty adept at taking care of number one. They say, well, it's not just number one, I take care of my family. Well, good for you. Me, mine, us, and ours. And you are so proud of it. And to which I say, again, I, I just don't know very many people that are not deeply selfish. We have a me-first attitude. We... We want what's best for me, and I don't want to be taken outside of my comfort zone. Don't even think of inconveniencing me for Jesus' sake. i got places to go and things to do and people to see. And, 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 and so don't, don't ask me to teach a class. Don't ask me to work in the bus ministry. Don't, don't ask me to stand a post. Don't, don't have the expect, expectation I'm going to come to church all the time. I, I, I just can't do it. No, you know what? I'm going to tell you something. People do what they want to do. When you love God... And when you have a passion for Him, it's not all about your agenda. It's about, Lord, what can I do as an expression of love for You? A choice to, by love, serve God. But here are men that are with the Lord who's preparing to die the death of crucifixion and they're fighting about who's going to get more Who's going to have more prominence? And despite their pride and selfish ambition, Jesus loved them still. Aren't you glad that Jesus loves the selfish? Mind you, He doesn't love selfishness. He was the antithesis of it. But I'm glad He loves the selfish. I'm glad He loves betrayers. Though he doesn't love betrayal. Glad he loves deniers, though he doesn't love denial. I'm glad he loves the faithless, though he doesn't love faithlessness. Which brings me to this Jesus loves you. I'm sad to say that as I read through the Scriptures, I try in my mind not to do this, but I find myself identifying with certain characters in the Bible. 
Do you do that too? Maybe you read about some hero of the faith. Maybe someone like Daniel standing in the face of, of terrible uh, circumstances and, and uh, sleeping in the midst of ravenous, hungry lions and, and uh, standing up to, to the king. Listen, I, I mean, sometimes we think about people like that and we, we start identifying with them. We think, listen, man, Paul was valiant for Christ, the best Christian ever. And somehow we start identifying with that, like as though maybe we are that. But you know, I have to be honest today. There are some days where I have to identify with Thomas. There have been days in my life where I had to identify with pre-Galilean Peter. Some days in my life where I have to identify with pre-Garden Judas. There are some days where I have to identify myself with a group of selfish, ambitious men who were so self-absorbed they couldn't see what Jesus was facing. And they made it all about themselves. And sometimes our conscience affects us to the point where we feel like, how could God really love me? Which is a fair question in our human understanding. But when we look into the divine, we know it is God's nature and that He died just for you. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Friends, today, if you were the only person on planet earth that needed salvation. Jesus would die just for you. And so what I tell you is this, it does not matter where you have been or what you have done. Jesus knows it. And He loves you anyway. Sometimes people say, I just don't see how the Lord could love me or how I could even be saved. You know, the reality is that you're the one that Jesus came to save. He said, I'm, I'm come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Why? Because He loves you. And so, today if you have a criminal record, you have a jaded past, you have something in your life that you're ashamed of? God knows. And even still, He says, I love you. He doesn't love the sin. He loves you. And He came to take the sin away from you. Sad to say, there are a lot of folks who have made some kind of a profession of faith in the Lord, but we try to hold on to those things. And the reality is, the Lord doesn't love you because you're faithful to Him. He doesn't love you because you live such an upright life. He loves you because He is love. 
And that what that's what He, in His infinite love, has chosen to do. And He'll never change His mind about it because He said, I am the Lord. In Malachi 3, I change not. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Jesus loves me. This I know. Because I've been such a good person. No. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. He showed me at Calvary. What's the message, preacher? Jesus loves you. Never forget it. Heavenly Father, we bow before Your throne this morning in humble acknowledgement that we are nothing and You are everything. And we are utterly undeserving and unworthy of Your love and Your mercy. And yet You have lavished it upon us. Lord, may we today be ever grateful for what You have done for us. And Lord, I pray that we would never for one moment take for granted that love. May we never say, because You love me despite my sin, that I'll just continue in that. No, may we love You and demonstrate that we are indeed Your children by turning away from those things and serving You faithfully, loyally. Not so that You will love us, but because You do love us. Lord, help us to lay a hold of this and to rejoice in it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Today, if you have listened to this message, wherever you may find yourself, it doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus died to pay the price for that sin. And He loves you and wants to spend forever in heaven with you. And I would say to you today, that if you have never personally placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for for your eternal salvation, I want you to listen very carefully and closely at this moment. The Bible declares that we're all sinners. Not some of us, all of us. We're sinners because we were born that way and because we've chosen to sin against God. And the Bible says because of that, we deserve to suffer a punishment, separation from God, which is spiritual death in a place of suffering called hell. But Jesus loves you so much that even though you be this or worse, He died to take that sin away from you to pay the price for your sin so you might be forgiven completely forever. And now He offers through His shed blood and the forgiveness of sin. Heaven as a free gift purchased with His blood to all who will receive it believing. 
And if you believe that you're a sinner and that you cannot save yourself, you know that your sin has pronounced upon you separation from God in a place of suffering called hell. If you believe that God loves you so much that He died in your place on the cross of Calvary so that you do not have to suffer in hell and He offers to you heaven through the forgiveness of sins as a free gift if you would believe Him and receive it by faith. Simply believe that Jesus is God and He died for you. He was buried and rose again to give you the gift of eternal life in heaven with Him. If you believe that today, I want to ask you just to pray a simple prayer like this. Dear Heavenly Father, I confess that I'm a sinner. I know that I cannot save myself. I now invite Jesus into my heart and into my life to forgive me of every sin and to save me so that I may spend forever in heaven with Him. I'm now trusting in Jesus and Jesus only to save me and take me to heaven when I die. Thank You, God, for saving me. Enable me now to live for Thee. For this I pray in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Friends, as my family comes to join me, I want to say that as you have listened, if you have prayed that prayer and you receive the Lord as your Savior today by faith, I want to invite you to find our information on the website and send us an email or give us a call and let us know that you've trusted Christ as your Savior. We want to send you a Bible so that you can learn more about what has transpired in your life and what Jesus has done for you. We want to send you some information that will help you begin to grow in your relationship with the Lord. Now that you're saved, know this, you can never lose what God has given to you. He saved you forever. He gave you eternal life. He gave you everlasting life. It'll never end. We'd like to tell you more about that. Thank you for dialing in and watching the service today. And perhaps you have come to understand that God loves you. Would you now say, Lord, I want to serve you with my life.